Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn to Zechariah chapter 7. We'll pick up where we left off before the Christmas holidays. And as we come back to chapter 7, uh, we're in the fourth year of King Darius, as you see in chapter, in verse number 1. And uh, a few years have passed, and if from the book of Ezra, we know at this point the temple was completed in the fourth year of Darius. So sometimes during this year, uh, they had finished the temple. And so they were, at this point, at the very least, they were doing the finishing touches on the temple. And uh, Israelites from all over, the, all over Palestine were coming back to the temple to see uh, this new structure. And I think a lot of them were disappointed when they saw it. I know the, the ones who were building it were disappointed. But they were disappointed, but they did come back. They came back to celebrate the feast. They came back to pray. Uh, they, they came back to uh, get some theological questions answered uh, because they had been thrown into captivity without any of their Bibles. They didn't have a Bible. They had a Torah without any of their scrolls. And so they had kind of lost touch altogether with God. And any kind of relationship they had with God, they, they pretty much, uh, it was pretty, pretty simple and pretty plain and pretty to the point. And so they come back, there's this group of people that come back to Jerusalem, and they've got a theological question. That's what we want to look at as we pick up in chapter 7, verse number 1. It says, Now in the fourth year of King Darius, it came to pass that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. On the fourth day of the ninth month, Chislev, which is the month of Chislev, when the people sent Sherezer and Regum Malat and his men to the house of God to pray before the Lord. Now, if you look at those names of those two men that the people sent, those are Babylonian names. So we know by the fact that they were given Babylonian names that they were born in captivity. The Babylonians made all the Israelites name their children or give their children Babylonian names. They made anybody, any nation that they had uh, captured, when they had children in the land, they became citizens of Babylon, and so they were given Babylonian names. So, so we know they were born in captivity, and the citizens of their hometown, uh, probably somewhere in Ephraim, sent them to Jerusalem to talk to the priest and talk to the prophets and uh, they had one particular theological question that they wanted answered, and that's really what the message in chapter 7 is centered on. And so look at uh, verse number 3. And they, and they were sent to ask the priests who were in the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, saying, Should I weep in the fifth month and fast as I have done? Actually, they had a fast going for the fifth month and the seventh month while they, the whole 70 years they were in captivity. And so the, they're basically asking, should we continue this fast? I mean, this, this fast that, as I have done so for many years. Now, when the Jews went into captivity uh, in 586, uh, many of them begin to weep and fast. And you can see why. I mean, their whole lives had been turned upside down. Many of the people that they knew had been destroyed in the, in the battles between the Jews and the Babylonians. And, and once the Babylonians captured uh, Jerusalem, they killed uh, hundreds of thousands of Jews. And so uh, you can see why they were weeping and fasting 
and they set up this fast in the fifth and seventh month, and they fasted for 70 years. And so basically what these people are asking, are we now that we're back in the land, and the temple's been built, and Jerusalem's been built, do we continue this fast? Now you get an idea how bad it was on them when you read Psalm chapter uh, 137, I believe it is. And let me, let me just read it for you. You don't even have to turn there. It says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For, those, for there those who carried us away captive asked us a song, to, to sing a song, and those who plundered us requested mercy, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. I mean, they knew that these Jews were great musicians and, and uh, they had heard about the temple worship and how powerful it was and how beautiful it was and how talented these people were. And so they said, hey, sing us some of these songs. And so uh, they sang these songs. Uh, they didn't sing these songs because listen to what it says. It says, how long shall we, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? So they weren't going to sing. They weren't in a singing mood. So in verse number four, it says, how should we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Uh, now, stop and think about that. That's a bad witness, isn't it? You know, there's times we do some things that we shouldn't do, and God disciplines us for, for our mistakes. And we think, hey, man, well, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna fast and we're going to weep and, every, and everything's going to be okay. Well, it's, you, you can't cry yourself out of the discipline of God. I can tell you that right now. And so here they were, and they had an opportunity to sing those songs and witness to these lost Babylonian pagans. That uh, Lois read that scripture a while ago that Jeremiah gave them about praying for the city where God sends you and being a witness in that city where God sends you, because if you can get those people saved in that city, then things are better for you. And so, I mean, if we get all of Lafayette saved, just think of how wonderful it would be to live in Lafayette. If whoever gets all of Morgan City saved, just think of how wonderful it's going to be to live in Morgan City. And so, so, uh, so they, they really missed a chance here. And, but they went on to say, if I forget, forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. In other words, we're not going to settle in this land. We're not going to be happy in this land. We're going to weep and we're going to cry and we're going to fast. And that fast continued for 70 years. So they did a lot of fasting. And, uh, uh, and they were hoping that somehow through these fasts that they could move the Lord to change their condition. But remember what the Lord told them through the prophets. If you don't turn around and you go into captivity, you're going to be in captivity for how long? You're going to be in captivity for 70 years. And so now, no matter how much you weep or fast, I'm not going to change that decree. Uh, I remember when we looked at that prayer of Daniel in chapter 9 of the book of Daniel, when Daniel prayed for God to, to send the Israelites, he was, he was uh, prophesying in the first year of King Darius, and he was praying during that year in chapter 9 of Daniel that God would allow the Israel, Israelis to return back to the promised land. But the reason he waited to make that prayer was that he knew that the 70 years were up. He wouldn't have wasted his time. Daniel was a wise uh, man of God. He knew it was a waste of time to pray 
for something that he knew God wasn't going to do. But now that the 70 years were up, Daniel probably was like the only one that still believed. And he believed that God would return the people to the land. And he began to pray that they would uh, uh, be returned to the land. Now, there's a really good lesson here for, I believe, for all of us about our fasting and praying. Let me tell you what, you can fast and pray until you're blue in the face. But you're not going to get God to do something that he doesn't want to do. And you're certainly not going to get him to change his decrees. And, and I think sometimes we, we, we disobey God and we, we rebel against God. And then all these terrible things happen in our life. And then all of a sudden we think, well, I'm go we're gonna, I, I don't like my situation, so I'm going to seek God. And I'm going to pray to God and I'm going to repent. And I'm going to weep and fast trying to get God to fix my situation when God is not going to fix that situation. He's not going to fix that situation because he's put us in that situation to teach us a lesson. And until we learn that lesson, we can fast and pray all we want, and we're not going to get God to change a thing. And I think what we have to do at that point is accept the situation that God's put us in and find joy and peace in that situation, in that city or in that job or in that place where God has placed us. And, and, and in his time, when he knows we've learned our lesson, then he will move us out and, and good things will happen. But good things can happen even in the midst of some type of bad situation, what we think is a bad situation. Because anything that God puts us in, it, it's for our good. And that means it's a good situation, whether, we, whether we're comfortable in it or not. So here were these Jews, and they're in captivity, and they're fasting. And if, there was, if they were sincerely sorry for the things they had done that had put them in this situation, and they were repentant, then I believe that fast was a good thing. I mean, I think it's a, I'm not saying it's a bad thing to fast. It's just, again, you're not going to change God's timetable. And so, uh, listen to God's answer. They, 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 they ask that theological question, and he gives these guys an answer through the prophet Zechariah. Listen to what he says in verse number four. It says, then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, say to all the people of the land, I mean, all the people who weeped and fasted all these 70 years, this is what I want you to say to them and say this to the priest. When you fasted, actually what he's going to do, he's going to ask them a question. When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months during those 70 years, did you really fast for me? And then he asked that question again, for me, for me. Was it about me or was it about your situation? What's well, a good question to ask any type of religious thing we do? Prayer, Bible study, coming to church, all of those things. Who's it about? Is it for me or is it for the Lord? So the Lord doesn't give them a definitive yes or no here to their question of whether or not they should fast. He answers their question with a question of his own. When you fasted, did you really fast for me? Was it because you loved me and you were sorry for the things you did before you went into captivity and now you're ready to be obedient? Or was it just because you were sorry for the condition I you're in now, the condition that I placed you in. Then the Lord asked them a second question related to their feast. He says, when you eat and when you drink, do you 
not eat and drink for yourselves. In other words, when you observe a fast, are you really, or a feast rather, or a fast, are you really doing it for me? Are you doing it for yourselves? Or, which means it's just an occasion to party. I mean, we got a grand example uh, of that situation in Louisiana with Mardi Gras. Ask the question, when you observe the feast of Mardi Gras, are you doing it for me or are you doing it for yourselves? So I got to tell you, I, my guess is in every single case, people that observe Mardi Gras are doing it for themselves. Now, at the end, they observe that little fast, which is just a ritual. So the whole debauchery of that carnival situation is not done unto the Lord. I don't care what they try to do on Ash Wednesday. That is all done for themselves. And I'm not picking on Mardi Gras. You can do that with just ask that question about anything. I mean, really anything that we do. I mean, are we doing it because uh, we love the Lord? Are we observing our feast? Or are we doing it because we enjoy doing it and it's for ourselves now it's great to enjoy a feast god made the feast not fat actually he initiated feast not fast because he wanted the people to rejoice but he wanted them to rejoice in him and so here's the lesson here it's the attitude of the heart that determines whether or not any religious activity is good or it's bad for example Show me in the Bible where it says that you're to teach Sunday school to little children. What verse is that? It's not in the Bible. I mean, Jesus said, you could say, Jesus said, suffer little children, come to me. So, you know, he wants the children taught. But you're interpolating there. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says teach children Sunday school. There's no Sunday school in the Bible. But I believe Sunday school, don't get me wrong now, Sunday school is a great thing. But every single Sunday school teacher and everybody involved in children's ministry needs to ask themselves, why are you in it? Are you in it because you want to nurture those children in the Lord and you want to glorify and honor the Lord? Or is it some thing you're doing, some task you're doing because you feel like you have to? Because you don't have to. And so, you know, it's a good thing to teach Sunday school, even though it's not in the Bible, if your heart's right with the Lord. If you're doing it to honor the Lord and you're doing it to nurture those children. And you could, you could, you could apply that to any religious activity. You can apply, apply it to prayer. You can apply it to, to Bible study. You can apply it to fasting. You can apply it to the feast. And so, uh, uh, that's the lesson that the Lord was trying to teach them here. And, and he wanted them to learn the lesson that he wanted to give them in those 70 years of captivity. And that lesson was more than your feast and fasting, I want obedience. And here were these guys coming back from the northern kingdom and asking the Lord whether or not they should continue a fast, because I, I think it's kind of like when Peter asked, you know, should I forgive my brother? 
You know, and, and Jesus said, yeah, should I forgive my brother who's wronged me? Yeah, not just one time, 70 times, 70 times. You know, you forgive him as long as he keeps, as, as many times as he needs forgiveness. And the same thing, they were asking, you know, they thought, oh, here they were, you know, should we continue this fast and this feast that we've been participating in for 70 years? And the Lord said, that's not what I'm after. I mean, I, the lesson I wanted you to learn down in captivity wasn't to fast and to feast. The lesson I wanted you to learn in captivity was obedience. And the question is, are you willing to obey the Lord? Let's listen to what he says in verse number seven. He says, should you not have obeyed the words which, which the Lord proclaimed through the former prophets when Jerusalem and the cities around it were inhabited and prosperous and the south and the lowlands were inhabited? I mean, the reason... Israel went into captivity wasn't because they were ignoring feasts and fastings. The reason they went into captivity was because they were disobedient to the Lord. And how were they disobedient? Well, the Lord's going to show them how they were disobedient by telling them now what they need to be doing. You know, if you want to prevent yourself from going into captivity again, I don't want you to have to fast not based upon you being sorry for the situation you're in. It's what the Lord's saying to them. I want you to do what's right, and then we won't have this situation again. And so he says in verse number 8, he says, Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Execute true justice. Show mercy and compassion, everyone to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. That's the fast that I want. That's exactly what God said through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 58. He told him, this is the fast that I desire, that you help widows and orphans, that you show compassion, that you uh, don't plan wicked things against your brother, that you don't slander your brother. I mean, just the, Ten the last part of the Ten Commandments, that you keep the last part of the Ten Commandments. I mean, if... if a believer is marked by, or an Israelite was marked by merciless injustice and hardness of heart and uh, toward others and oppression of, of the helpless like you see in this passage here, and they had made wicked plans against their brothers. All of those things are an abomination to the Lord. He hates those things. And you know what else it is? It's a sign of a hard heart. Listen to me, when you don't care about anyone else but yourself, and all of us fall into that state at sometimes, I think, our heart is getting hard when we fall into that state. And, and that's not the heart of God. And so when you start getting impatient with people, and you don't want to deal with people, and you don't have anything to do with people, and you start thinking wicked plans against people, and, and you get this, this hard-hearted heart, then probably the, at the root of that is a lack in your relationship with the Lord. You've drifted away from the Lord. So maybe at that point, by observing the feast and fasting, it might do you some good if you're doing it in order, hey, golly, look at, I mean, sometimes my heart gets so hard and I say to myself, man, I got to do something about that. And I go to spend some time with the Lord. That's fasting in a way when you go and you say, Lord, soften my heart. Change my heart, oh God. Make it more like you. 
I mean, don't let me be so hard-hearted. Give me a tender, loving heart. And, I, and that comes more from being with the Lord than asking the Lord to do it. And so, I, I, I mean, those things kind of go together. I mean, if you've got a hard heart, you're going to treat people wrong. If you treat people wrong, you're going to have a hard heart. And all of it ends when you get close to the Lord and you have the heart of the Lord and Christ lives through you, not yourself. And if we're engaged in all sorts of religious activities and yet we still have a hard heart and we're oppressing others, then, then uh, we're hypocrites. And we could be sure that our feast and fast are done for the wrong reason. And before all of this happened, you're looking at verse, what the Lord says about them in verse 8, 9, and 10. Before all of these things happened and they had lost all of the mercy and, and compassion and they, they were oppressing widows and the fatherless and they were oppressing the poor and they planned evil against their brothers and they slandered their brothers. Before the, all that happened, they, they were warned. God was warning them that they were playing the hypocrite. And listen to what they did when they were warned. But they refused to heed. They shrugged their shoulders. In other words, they pulled their shoulders away. One thing my boys learned at a young age, if I tap you on the shoulder to get you to stop doing something, you better not pull your shoulder away. Or you're asking for, a, you're cruising for a bruising. I mean, that's what they were doing. The Lord's tapping them on the shoulder. Hey, you're getting out of hand here. And they just pull away from the Lord. Not only did they pull away from the Lord, they stopped up their ears so that they could not hear. They didn't want to hear what the prophets had to say. They didn't want to be rebuked. That's why the churches are full of churches where they, people hear what they want to hear. They don't want to hear this kind of stuff right here. They don't want to hear that, hey, man, the reason sometimes you're having trouble in life is that you've got a hard-hearted heart. You've drifted away from God. People don't want to hear that. And, and look what he says in verse number 12. He says, yes, they made their hearts like flint, as hard as flint, refusing to hear the Lord's and the law and the words. Now, you get out of the word, and you're going to get a hard-hearted heart. You get in the word for the wrong reasons, you're going to get a hard-hearted heart. If you go into your prayer room and you take your Bible with you and your purpose in reading that Bible is to get close to the Lord, hey, it's, you're gonna, your heart's going to be right. Your heart's going to be right, and when your heart's right, you're going to treat others right. He said, yes, they made their hearts like flint, refusing to hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Thus great wrath came upon them from the Lord of hosts. Therefore, it happened that just as he proclaimed and they would not hear, so they called out and I would not listen. When they cried and mourned and wept and fast, I no longer would listen. There came a point actually before they went into captivity. You remember some of the prophets we've looked at where the Lord said, that's it. Especially with the northern kingdom, your destiny's set. No matter what you do now, it's not going to change. And I don't know when that date was with the southern kingdom, but I'm sure that happened too. And and they started seeing these armies marching down, and I'm sure they called for a fast. And I'm sure they celebrated the feast, and everybody came to the temple to pray. But it was too late because their hearts weren't right. But I, so I scattered them, the Lord says, with a whirlwind among all the nations which they had not known. Thus the land became desolate after them so that no one passed through or returned, for they made the pleasant land 
the land of Israel. That's who he, what he's speaking of, Palestine. They made it desolate. Look, the reason their hearts became as hard as flint is because all they did was go through the motions without really seeking God in a true relationship. And when their hearts became hard, their actions became wicked. And the Lord warned them, and he warned them, and he warned them over and over again. That's what's been kind of cool about going through these minor prophets. And if you go back, we haven't gone through uh, Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah, but they, they got the warnings there too. And they didn't heed. They shut up their ears. They moved. They turned their shoulders away from the Lord, and the Lord scattered them like a whirlwind through the nations, and the land became desolate. And when they got into the land, into captivity, they were sorry. They were in such a mess. And so they fasted, and they called upon the Lord. And they fasted for 70 years. And their captivity lasted how long? Exactly how long God said it would. 70 years. And I think what God's saying to them, there's no reason for you to fast anymore. There was no reason for you to fast when you were in captivity unless you were trying to fast in order to get closer to me. You weren't going to fast your way out of this situation. You weren't going to pray your way out of this situation. The situation was set, and you were going to spend 70 years in captivity. So what you need to learn from this, fasting's a good thing. Feasts are a good thing if they're done unto the Lord. And the best fast that you can do is a fast that results from a good relationship with the Lord, and that's to treat people right. Don't yell at them if they're messing up the... the <laughs> the audio back there. Be patient with them. Look, I think there's a really great lesson for all of us here. Really great lesson. I mean, it's important to pray. It's important to study the Word. It's important to come to church and praise the Lord. I think it's especially important to study the Word corporately because I believe the Spirit anoints the study of the word that's done corporately. At least sometimes he does. I think it's important we observe the Lord's Supper. I think it's very important. But if we don't guard our hearts and take those things seriously, we do them. It becomes an abomination to the Lord. We're nothing more than actors. We're hypocrites just like the Israelites were. And you want to know how you can tell that maybe... You're playing the hypocrite. It's just how you talk to others and how you treat others. If you're unwilling to help anybody but yourself, if you're unwilling to, to be patient with people, even in traffic, uh, maybe it's a sign your heart heart's getting a little hard. You know, I'm so glad that we're saved by grace and we're secured by grace. No matter how distant we drift from the Lord, we're, the Lord's going to bring us back. And because he loves us, sometimes he's going to use some really difficult times to bring us back. But he's not going to let us just 
harden our hearts. He'll break us to where we're just like these Israelites, fasting and fasting and trying to do all sorts of stuff to, to, to get things back the way they were. But he's probably going to leave us in a situation while it's really difficult so that we learn that lesson. And I get worried sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm not so much on Wednesday night, but I come to church sometimes and things seem so apathetic in the church today. I mean, it's, it's like people don't really care. Like they're just going through the motions. Like they don't want to sing the songs. They sleep sometimes when you're preaching. They don't really want to hear the word. And, I, and we got a good group. I'm, 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 overall, we've got a good group. But if that's all, any, if that, a person comes in and that's all they're doing, and they're here because I think I've got to be here on Wednesday night or I've got to be here on Sunday morning in order to please the Lord, you're wasting your time. You might as well stay at home and watch NFL football. I mean, you can watch something better than that, but <laughs> you, can find, you can find something to watch or do because you're wasting your time. It's just like giving money. Well, I don't want to mess with the giving, so we, <laughs> so we better stop there. <laughs> Seriously, it's like giving money and begrudging begrudgingly, like you don't really want to give it. You're giving because you have to. Well, if you're giving it because you have to, you don't give it. And if you're not giving, then there's something wrong with your heart. You know, such a balancing act that's perfected through a relationship, a strong relationship with the Lord. When we put him first in a strong relationship, we're not going to have a hard heart. We're going we're gonna to fast and pray and read our Bibles and worship and do all of those things for the right reason. And we'll be blessed. And maybe we can stay out of Babylon. Let's go, Lord. Father, we just thank you for your word and this great lesson here you teach us, Lord. Help us all that in 2018 to take our relationship with you uh, as seriously or more seriously than we ever had. Or to get close with you, just just because who you are and what you've done for us. Not to get things from you, Lord. We 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 know what your word says. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and your righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. But, but Lord, just to get close with you. And when we get close to you, the fruit of that relationship, Lord, is a tender heart. A tender heart towards you and a tender heart towards others. That's what we want this year, more than anything else what I want but Lord we we just we just ask that you make this a special year or a year where you revive us according to your loving kindness Lord we just ask for that in uh, Jesus name